Hey all, thanks for tuning into this episode of Queer Queries. Now before we get started, I want to talk to you about Southern Fried Queer Pride. Southern Fried Queer Pride is an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization empowering Black, Queer, and QTPOC-centered communities in the South through the arts. SFQP envisions a world where Black and QTPOC artists and leaders are employed and owners in the regional South. Black and brown queer folks are often the drivers of culture, but often lack the autonomy and resources needed to support themselves and their communities. Their mission is to uplift black and brown queer folks, give them the platforms they need, and help create an environment and culture that sustains them. This information was taken from their website, and a link to learn more about this organization, as well as to donate to them, will be linked in the show notes below. Are you nervous? No. A little bit. A little. Why are you nervous? I don't know. It's part of it. <laughs> it can't be part of it. Maybe I'm already recording. I'm stressed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have my first in-person interview because he's one of the only people that I've been able to see during quarantine. He is a very good friend of mine, a good Judy, if you will, who I met doing Fly the Musical at La Jolla Playhouse. Some of you may know him as the creator of the Let's Hear It for the Choice Instagram account, which is sweeping musical theater Instagram accounts across the nation. (laughs) Please welcome to your ears, Jimmy Larkin. Hello. Thank you for that introduction, Nick. I also love the Judy reference. I'm a big Wizard of Oz fan and a big Judy fan. I I mean, I figured it was appropriate. Then I came up with that on the fly, so... Where would you like to start? I also love that you said it's sweeping the nation. Yeah, there's, I mean, if you watch my YouTube channel, all you'll really get from that is that I'm that musical theater gay. Yes. There's also like a very specific, I feel like, musical theater gay that loves YouTube specifically. Like I can sit there and watch like every interpretation of one song in musical theater, just Mm -hmm. like go through and watch every single one. (laughs) I don't know if I ever did that. I did it for like specific shows on YouTube. You know what's funny is my dad is that kind of, like, musical theater fan. Like, after we see a show, he will watch every video that you can get of that show. Like, I remember after seeing Come From Away, he literally was just, like, watching, like, performances of Jen Colella on, like, TV performances and... Every Me in the Sky that there ever was. (laughs) Yep. So, yeah. But first question, how did you learn about what being gay was, what the queer community was, That's a great, great question. I feel like, like many other gays, my first introduction to, like, gays on screen and stage was probably Rent. I don't even know if I fully really understood what was happening there, like, because of I didn't really know what Angel, how Angel identified, but I knew that, like, they were gay, and, like, Maureen and Joanne were gay, and I guess also Spring Awakening for me. I sound so gay with all these musical theater references. <laughs> Spring Awakening as well. I remember seeing Spring Awakening in high school. I feel like until high school, I didn't really realize that like being gay wasn't a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. in middle school, I kind of thought it was like a weird thing that was definitely not me. And then through high school is when I started to embrace like the beautiful gay stories and like the meaningful gay stories. Mm-hmm. So for you, it was you came to accept 
yourself and the community in high school. Yeah, totally. And through theater, honestly, which is like embarrassing to say, but it's also so true, you know, like, we'll talk about this later, because it kind of I know it will tie into other things. But uh, I did falsettos when I was like younger, too. And that was definitely a huge, had a huge impact on me and knowing what being gay meant. And especially what it was like back during that time, it was a whole different thing, you know. So for anyone who doesn't know, Falsettos, the musical, is about a family with a father who's who's gay and has recently come out and is dating another man. And they're trying to keep their household together and keep their tight-knit family, as one of the songs mentions. And the boy is having his bar mitzvah. And it's just about how the family is dealing with all of that and how the kid's being raised with a, a gay role model and how the mom is trying to deal with her husband being gay. and But... I feel like, yeah, through musicals, honestly, was a lot of how I learned about gay culture. What about falsettos do you think, like, why that in particular had? Because that's like a very specific gay story. And so like for you, what kind of impact do you think that had? I mean, what impact did it have on me personally? Well, if we're going to jump right in, (laughs) (laughs) falsettos, um, falsettos had a huge huge impact on me because my life at the time was kind of mirroring it. And my dad was a closeted gay man and was never out. He passed in 2016, but he was closeted and he was gay. And we never really talked about it, but it was during when I was doing falsettos that I started to see the first signs of like knowing that he had something to hide and that he was gay and it wasn't being talked about. And I just find it so interesting that his life was parallel to the musical that I was in at the time and he was going to see it every night and that we were experiencing it in our own household, you know, Mm -hmm. and he loved the show too. And now I know a little bit more why. And, you know, my mom's story follows so much of what Trina goes through in that musical of just trying to keep the household together and keeping her life together and being okay with him being the way he is and and trying to smile through it, even though it's tough, and trying to raise her kids at the same time, you know. But yeah, Falsettos was really impactful for me for that reason, because my character was going through the same exact thing that I was at the time, you know. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel any sort of rejection to either your own queerness once you started learning about your father? Did you ever feel any kind of like rejection towards that? I don't know if I felt rejection. I guess one thing that was tough for me was that I found that he would make comments sometimes from his own shame of like some things that I did that seemed effeminate to him or like certain things that I wore or ways I acted. And it might just be because he honestly might have just had some jealousy in the fact that I was more able to live my life openly than he was. And I think that kind of caused a little bit of resentment, you know, toward him and just the fact that like, especially toward the end of high school. And it's like, well, if I'm going to be this out gay man and you can't be like, it was tough to have your biggest role model have the same, I don't even know what to call it, but the same secret that I did for so long. And Mm -hmm. I was able to come out and be myself, but I didn't have my role model doing the same. And I understand why, you know, he was born in literally 1950 and times were different, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and once you get to your like, 50s and 60s too you know it's different to come out at that time like Mm -hmm. your family's not going to be as accepting you know it was a different time back then so I understand why but I think I just did feel a little resentment you know because it's tough to have your role model knowing that they're going through the same thing but not being able to 
connect on that level. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel any rejection from outsiders to the situation? Of my dad? Of you or or your dad, but specifically you. Just like bullying or, I mean, I was lucky enough to not really face too much like bullying or any, any of that kind of rejection. I mean, I do remember in middle school one time I was wearing a Gap shirt and I remember specifically this stands out that a kid in front of a bunch of other kids said like, what does that stand for? Gay and proud. And then I never wore a shirt that said Gap on it again. Hmm. But as far as like bullying goes or rejection goes, I'm from Massachusetts and was born in New York, I have found that the East Coast has been pretty accepting. And I was lucky enough to not really be around a ton of hate in that sense, or I didn't find many people really rejected me. I mean, I also wasn't really out. People probably knew, but Mm -hmm. I think it was something that they kind of just knew and accepted. And I think that like, I was scared of coming out because I was scared of being one of the few gay kids from my school who's like out and is weird, you know, or Mm -hmm. is like the oddball. Um, And I didn't want to do that. Like if I was going to be gay, I wanted to be the popular gay, you know, mm-hmm. be the gay that gets along with the popular girls. And that was problematic in itself. You know, I didn't want to be part of the GSA club, you know, because those were the weirdos. And looking back now, I, I hope that's changing in schools. You know, I hope that that's not the view, but mm-hmm. um, that's certainly it was the way it felt in my school. And so I wasn't really out. And although I didn't face rejection, I think I was just so scared to. And that's why I wasn't open about it. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you said the problematic parts that sometimes come with being like popular gay or being a part of GSA. Because I know for me growing up, once I came out, I had such like rejection towards the identity of being gay because like a lot of the first kind of representation in like social media specifically was I saw people using like hashtag gay, hashtag instigay, hashtag whatever as like almost a marketing ploy as opposed to a celebration. And I, I don't know what it was about that, but I rejected that so much. And I think because I thought that's what being gay was, I was rejecting it. And then it wasn't until for me, cause like why, why I asked you like rejection for yourself. Cause like for me, I didn't like come out of that until end of college was when I started to actually love the queer part of myself because I learned about the heart of the Mm -hmm. queer community and not the superficialities and problematic aspects that can come along with with some people that are all working through their own shit. And like, especially like you introduced me to Velvet Rage, which is a great book, by the way, everyone. And that really like hits it on the nail specifically for gay men and like the terms of like, the growing up, the coming out, or the rejection, the coming out, but then the still rejection because we want to assimilate and fit into, like, the straight world. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, like, it touches on, like, how some people can't even find it because of their community or their friends or their surroundings. And then once you are able to, like, move past that kind of, like, subconscious rejection that I feel like queer people always deal with even once they really accepted that part of themselves. I know, at least for me, then you kind of reach that, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting all woo-woo with this. Well, no, I feel also, like, when you're younger, there's, like, a view of what, like, what gay means. And and there's even, like, a lot of the straight, like, maybe the popular kids at school have, like, their idea of, like, what a gay person is, and you feel like you have to either, like, fit that mold. It's, like, it becomes more than just a sexual preference, at, and you think that, like, being gay means you have to be effeminate or like Mm -hmm. that you can't be masculine or 
you know, gay doesn't define your entire life, you know? And I think that that's also hard to figure out. And I mean, even just like look at like my main example of being gay growing up was a closeted gay. And, you know, like Velvet Rage talks a lot about this too, but like the shame that comes with being gay, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, clearly my dad had a lot of shame and felt that being gay was brought him some shame, you know? And of course that like trickles down, you know? as someone who lives with him and and watches the way he lives because I know that he's gay and it's hard to not affiliate that with negative connotation, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you guys ever have just a conversation? We never got to talk about it at all. He was never out to a single soul besides like anyone that he talked to or had any sort of relationship with, you know, like him and my mom might've talked about it. She knew from the time that I was seven Mm-hmm. And then they didn't get divorced until I was 18 because they wanted us to stay in the same household and stuff. And they had their problems, but they raised me and my brother really beautifully and and they stayed together for us. But we never had a conversation about it. They might have had some conversations about it, but he never talked to any of his family and I never talked to him about it. I talked to him about me being gay and came out to him, but it never was a mutual mm-hmm. um, conversation. Is there something you'd have liked to talk about with him? Well, it's funny you say that too, because so two, three months ago, toward the beginning of quarantine, wow, actually, that might have been four months ago. (laughs) Was that four months ago? I don't know, whenever March was. I saw a medium. I had been wanting to see a medium for a long, long, long time. And our friend Izzy, our mutual friend, Mm. suggested her cousin Stephanie, who's an incredible medium. And so I did a, a reading with her. And my main goal was that I was like, well, we never talked about him being gay. And, you know, now that he's gone, we won't get that opportunity in person. But I was like, a medium could be a really beautiful way to like open that up. And I think that what I wasn't realizing when reaching out to the medium was that we weren't going to have conversations that we didn't necessarily have already. You know, Mm -hmm. it was a lot of like confirmation of things that he thought about me and sending his love and just sending messages to my mom and my brother. And, you know, it was it wasn't any new information. But at the end of the medium reading, I said to the medium, I was like, there is something that my dad and I have really talked about. And I was, I want to ask him if it's okay for me to openly talk about that and to tell other people about it. And if I have his permission and she told me that he took a deep breath and he got really nervous, but that he would be honored if I would share that and that there's no one else he'd rather have tell other people. And so I felt like I then had permission to tell other people because here's the thing. I mean, I don't want to carry his shame, you know, and I think I have for a long time. And I think that like carrying his secret weighs on me and I I don't want to do that anymore because it's not a secret that was bad. And I think that I'm finally understanding that. Like, I think that for a long time I felt that like I couldn't tell people that my dad was closeted and was gay because it was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But like, no, if anything, it's more of a sad thing and it should make people more aware that like people are having to live like that because they they don't feel yeah. that they can be accepted. So I finally viewed it as like I can finally set him free and not have to carry that secret of his anymore, you know, and I told you this, but I sent an email out to my entire family, like explaining that I know that my dad was a closeted gay man. And and I said to them, if, if you're feeling confused, I get it. Like, it's a big thing to learn about someone after you've known them for however many years, 60 plus years. But if you're feeling upset that I'm telling you this, then I want you to look at why, because being gay is not a bad thing. And finding out that he's gay shouldn't make you upset necessarily mm-hmm. or angry, you know? And if so, then why are you feeling those emotions? But 
I sent that email to my family and it went over really well. And Mm -hmm. they sent some really beautiful messages back. And, you know, I've never really talked about being gay with my family, probably for the same reasons that my main role model wasn't open about it. And for a long time, I wasn't probably for the same kind of reasons, but things are changing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm glad. It's interesting because like when you told me you did that, like I I told you I hadn't really come out to my like extended family either. And it kind of just like made me like want to like look back and be like, because I was always a very expressive, creative child. I feel like exhibited traits that we, for whatever reason, attribute to being feminine qualities as opposed Mm -hmm. to qualities that can be exhibited by men. And it just makes me wonder. I'm like, I never had any instances where I was like, you shouldn't do that. Boys don't do that. And wondering like, if my extended family ever thought anything of it because i i only remember feeling love and acceptance and like people like oh my god we had an actor in the family like that's cool i don't know it just makes me think like for for some people like does that one thing how can that how can that one thing excuse me how can that one thing change someone's viewpoint about this child who you grew up knowing and loving and having being a part of your family. And then suddenly it's like, like, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't had any, any conversations or any rejection, but I, I, I know that's like, that's a, just a very common thing for a lot of, of queer youth, specifically in our instance, gay men. And that's the thing too, is that some of my family members even came back with messages saying that like, you didn't have to come out like we knew. And, and there's is some beauty in that. in in the sense of that, like they had already accepted who I was. But it's also tough because it's like, I don't want you to just assume, you know, that maybe because I'm more effeminate that I'm gay, you know, that doesn't mean that. But I mean, I I got their sentiment. It was a really beautiful sentiment. And they were saying that we've always accepted you. And like, I know I mentioned that, like, I think my father probably felt some jealousy in in the fact that like, I was able to live more openly. But like, my entire family, like, they've been pretty accepting. Like, I have 16 cousins. And like, they would happily be part of like me putting on productions of Wizard of Oz in the living room and they all played the characters and you know they probably knew back then and they put me in like oversized blue t-shirts as a Dorothy dress with like ruby <laughs> slippers you know like they were fully embracing it and that was me at Christmas time I my, directed our Christmas shows right my dad bought me Barbies like in certain ways I think that people get nervous they don't want to talk about like you dating someone because that's new territory maybe for them they don't want to say like are you seeing anyone and to have to talk about a gay relationship because they haven't maybe done that before very much, but they'll embrace like your love for musicals or, you know, your fashion sense, you know, or, Mm -hmm. but I think that it's important to embrace it all. It's also on us to be as open about it as we want them to be. And I, and that's where I have failed, you know? Yeah. I think I've been scared to talk about having relationships with men because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's you also just made me think of of obviously this the idea of coming out and why queer people have to come out. And also like if you are living out and proud, like why is there a need to like do something like that? You just made me think like why haven't I already? And for the longest time it was rooted in shame and like you were saying, like this need to make them feel comfortable, so we're not gonna talk about it. Right. Which only perpetuates stigma. And I feel like in a way kind of like inhibits personal growth for you, even if it's like they don't accept it. At least you were like, for me, at least that's still part of someone I was and I still haven't gotten past that. Who knows? It might not even matter because I'm obviously very out and proud and love being gay. (laughs) 
But yeah, it's just something you maybe think about. And oh God, you maybe think of something else that you just said. When you talked about comfortability talking with having a relationship with a man. And it's so interesting because another thing that you literally made me think of is also for the longest time, I was a very private person about my relationships. And something that's still interesting is like, even up until recently, I was still very private about my personal life to my family who are very accepting of me. And they've even made comments. It's like, you don't tell us anything. And I always like, don't have anything to say. And it wasn't until like, you literally just talked about it that again, it made me like realize like that is still a part of a past person that I'm trying to not be anymore. I'm trying to let go of. And I feel like there's like elements of in all queer people like that we have that like as out and proud as we are, there are some like little parts and moments that I think we can forget and not give attention to. And until we are either in the situation and in the place to actually look at it or someone else brings it up, then can we look and be like, oh, that's still reminiscent of the shame I was feeling for so long mm-hmm. or that person like I'm trying not to become. Right. I feel that sending that letter, I know you talked about possibly doing the same thing, but sending that letter kind of freed a little bit of that for me, because hopefully I'll feel a little more comfortable to talk about those things. Because, you know, I know my family embraces me and loves me and roots for me. And so if I talk more openly about this, then maybe they will have more of a positive connotation with gay people in general. If like, one someone that they know and love is open about it, then maybe they'll be more open to talk about it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can, in some cases, start with us, you know? I know that after sending that letter, I want to be more open about talking about my relationships and talking about queerness. And if I don't tiptoe around it, maybe they won't either. Mm -hmm. Well, especially, like, you are someone who is very involved with kids, and you just told me, like, an instance you had... And that's a whole other element that people are so resistant to, like, seeing queer characters on, like, kids' television or movies or entertainment. And the comment that always comes up is, I'm not homophobic, but, like, just don't shove the gay agenda down my throat or something, like, as extreme or a little less extreme, but still equally as problematic. Even my brother acts like that sometimes. He kind of just is, like... And I, I love him I, I so much, and we, we get along really well. But every once in a while, it's like, yeah, I'm accepting, but I don't want to hear about it. And it's like, okay, well, then there's an issue there. You know, why don't you want to hear about it? Like, where does that stem from? And that, for our specific family, might stem from feelings toward my dad and how that affected him. You know, if you look at it, he was the only male in the family that wasn't gay. And maybe he feels resentment toward that. But you know, it's it's tough. You can't say that you support and embrace it, but not want to talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, I think it's so important to talk to kids about this because like they are our future. We need to normalize talking about queerness with them. In our first day of my theater camp we did last week um, on Zoom, we made sure they all had their names listed on their Zoom rather than their parents so that the teachers knew how to refer to them. And we all put our pronouns and I talked to the seven to 10 year olds about, do you know what a pronoun is? And, you know, just what the word in general a pronoun is and it replaces a noun. And we talked about how that's how you want to be referred to. And I want to normalize like use of pronouns that people want to be referred to as, you know, mm-hmm. and and not just assuming someone's pronouns. And there was an instance where a little girl was saying that it was cringy having two men love each other 
And so then that was my moment to to talk about that. And I don't think she's saying that because of anything that she actually feels, but maybe something that she's heard an adult say. And I want to try to turn that around as someone that she looks up to. You know, I have a good relationship with that girl in my intensive that I was I was part of. And and I want her to affiliate someone that she looks up to like me with queerness and to understand that being queer is not cringy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also brought up the name because I'm actually reading a book right now where this boy for the longest time was referred to as his middle name. And then his cousin once, they were like jokingly like, of course I'm using the gay word because I can't think of the straight word for this, but shading each other. Mm -hmm. And he said something to the fact it's like, well, Matthew isn't your real name. And the boy, Matthew's the the central character was like, yes, it is. And then his grandmother came in and he asked his grandmother and his grandmother apparently like reacted. And then he had a conversation with his mother. He was like, what would you like to be called? The conversation I think was actually after he was going around at school being like, my name's George now, or say George. And the teacher called and was like, oh my God, is this like fourth or fifth grader having an identity crisis? Like, why does he want to be called George? And that's when his mother told him the story. It's like, your father wanted you to be called George, but me and your grandmother wanted Matthew. So it was George Matthew Johnson, I believe was the name. And she was like, what do you want to be called? And he was like, I guess I want to stick with Matthew. But it made me think then, and just like off of what you're saying, is I think we need to trust kids a lot more than we actually do. Oh, for sure. They have instincts, you know? Yeah. I think they're a lot more in tune with the world and everything that goes on and themselves than we think. I mean, by by the time we get to our age, we have so many other people's thoughts that have been pushed into our own minds. And, you know, the kids are so much more open at that time. They haven't seen as much of the world and and they're more open to everything. And I even had one of my seven to 10 year olds, right when we put our pronouns into our Zoom, she's okay with going by she. I, I talked to her mom about this, but right away she put they slash it. And so I noticed that, and I, I had also noticed that the mom had been emailing me and referring to a, her as she, and okay. so I just wanted to address that with the mom and say, hey, I noticed that your your daughter said that she wanted to be referred to as they, it, and I just wanted to talk to you about that and ask if you know any more about that, and I don't want to be misgendering her. Mm-hmm. So we talked about it, and the awareness of a 7- to 10-year-old to realize that she might not be comfortable being referred to as she is so beautiful to me that she can already realize that. And the mom talked to me, and she says that she kind of rejects a lot of what people think of women to be like and a lot of things that people consider feminine, and she doesn't really adhere to a lot of that. And her brother, I guess, is in college and did his thesis on gender studies. And so she was like, she's much more aware than most seven to 10 year olds. And that's such a beautiful thing. I think that she's already aware of that at such a young age. I think aware is, is the right word for that, you know? And yeah, but these children do have emotional intelligence too. Like they know what makes them happy. They know it doesn't make them happy. They know it doesn't make them comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if we listen to that as adults, we can learn so much more about ourselves. You know, the kids haven't been programmed yet. We've been programmed to think so many things that are just normal in our society, but aren't really right, you know? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many qualities that you exhibit when you are a child that I feel like at some point, I mean, this is me like, (laughs) this is me saying this at 23, like, so you're (laughs) like, I've lived a life, I've seen things. But like, and I know this, especially like in 
theater school, you learn this, but there's so many qualities that you try to get back in touch with and regain when you're older, because like we grow up and you like, you learn things and you see things and like you get jaded and you learn about just like the harshness that comes with life in the world. And especially like as queer people, like we're still in a place like where you face more than a lot of straight cis people do. And yeah. And so just trying to like get back in touch with that inner child who was so like didn't have a second thought about like, oh, I want an American Girl doll for Christmas or yeah, I want to play with Barbies or I want to put on a dress or I want to play as Princess Peach on Mario Kart or whatever. I also find that I don't know if you relate to this, but I find that like with my brother and my dad specifically, that they were so open to letting me do whatever I wanted at home as far as like wearing that oversized blue t-shirt and those ruby slippers or playing with those Barbies. But I think that they were more weary to let me do that kind of stuff outside of the house. For example, like I would never like paint my nails or wear stuff with a rainbow on it or, you know, like anything like that outside of the house. And I think part of that was them protecting me of not wanting me to get bullied. And I understand Mm -hmm. that to a degree. But I'm finally just at 27 embracing some of that stuff. Finally, like I was working a job and there was this little boy that wanted to paint his nails like glitter nails. And at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that, you know. And then I was like, why don't I want to do that? I think that's because of something that I learned when I was a child that I shouldn't, as a man, be going out with glittery painted nails. And I was like, if this little boy is saying that he wants to paint his nails, I should be brave enough to paint my nails. And so it's taking, for example, like that kid is the person that brought that out of me, you know, brought that inner child out of me, the desires that I had as a child, you know, and we painted our nails and we had glitter nails. And you know how many times I painted my nails since, you know, and it makes me so happy. I look down and I just see glitter and I I smile instantly. It's so satisfying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I completely agree with what you're saying about the reason a lot of parents don't sometimes allow a child to express themselves like that outside of the home. Do you have any idea of like what parents can do? And this is even like I'm asking myself this because I'm like, what can I do? Because I know I want to be a parent one day to not squash that behavior in life inside or outside the house, but also protect them from bullying, from like the harshness of the world not fully ready to accept that kind of person. I mean, I think some of that responsibility falls on teachers because where do kids interact most that they're not at home with their own families? You know, that's school. And if the teachers normalize things that are associated with queerness in school at a young age, so these kids aren't growing up with the idea that queerness is something that should be bullied or something like that, you know, I think that it can start there because you can only do so much in your own household. And I think that's where it really needs to start is your own household. But parents have their own views, first of all, about Mm -hmm. queerness. But if teachers can normalize that in their interactions that kids have at school with other children, then they can learn those lessons way earlier on in life and be more accepting from an earlier age, I think. I talk all the time about how I think it's just as important for teachers to be shaping good humans as it is to be teaching them the school subjects that they're supposed to be teaching, you know? Mm-hmm. I think back on some of the most incredible teachers I have, and they were just role models to me. I don't remember what they taught me specifically for as far as school subjects go, but some of my favorite teachers were just accepting of me and pushed me to be everything that I could be in general, you know? And I think that that is part of a teacher's responsibility. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah, you say that too. It made me think like just of 
other impressionable role models. Like, I remember I had female babysitters who I remember just, like, exhibiting very much, like, my queer qualities, like, tying a blanket around my waist and using it as a train and doing that and never feeling, like, that rejection from them. So, like, that's another, like, role model that a lot of kids have. Is, like, For sure. Like, babysitters. Just, like, I feel like any kind of role model when you're in a place where a kid is expressing and exploring themselves, which I feel like can be anytime a kid is around an adult, how can you not diminish that behavior but allow it to flourish and support that child? And I think that also part of it is not just being accepting and being extra nurturing towards kids that you think might be queer, but teaching acceptance to the general student body or the group of children wherever you are, Mm -hmm. because you have to teach the ones who are going to grow up to be bullies, you know, because we can nurture children so much that we think are different, but it's really about teaching the ones who are going to be not accepting of those Mm -hmm. children to not single them out, you know? I have a friend who has a nephew that's really, really little. He must be four. I don't even know. But they were sitting around watching TV as a family and a commercial for a Barbie came on the TV. And her dad was like, oh, we'll have to get that for uh, your sister. And my friend was like, or we can get it for you if you want to. You know, it's like, I don't think that she... He's so young, you can't really tell. I don't think that she feels that he's going to grow up to be gay necessarily, but no matter what, she just wants to normalize like that kind of stuff so that he doesn't grow up to be the one bullying queer children, you know, Mm -hmm. that he's on their side, even if he's not queer. Yeah. And I think that's just as important. Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that. One of the things I wanted, which I'm like, that could have been one of the moments where my parents were kind of like nervous is I wanted an American Girl doll so bad. Specifically, I wanted the Kit Kittredge one. Do you know who Kit Kittredge is? Yeah, of course. (laughs) I, (laughs) it's important. Um, I was obsessed with Kit because I loved her little Bob. Everyone was obsessed with Kit. And I wanted Kit so bad. And I remember I had one of those dreams where it feels so real that you think it actually happened and it was around Christmas and it was a Christmas dream. And I thought I actually got Kit. And when I woke up and realized that it was a dream, I think I like (laughs) shattered. I think I cried a little bit. (laughs) I was so, so sad. I put an American girl doll on my list for like three years. And you didn't get it. I never got it. So you know what's so funny? I, I was working on a show about Christmas and on the first day we circled up and the director was like, what was your favorite Christmas gift you ever got? Or birthday gift, I guess, if people didn't celebrate Christmas. But what was your what was your favorite gift you ever got as a child? And I sat there and I was like, I don't really know what mine was. I don't really remember. And so right away I texted my mom and I was like, what do you think my favorite gift that I ever got for Christmas or a birthday was? And immediately she texted me back and she said that it was my like Playmobil big dollhouse for all my dolls. And I was just ecstatic to get that dollhouse. I guess the one thing that my parents did get me and my sister that I kind of mix up for it was they got us Cheetah Girls 2 on DVD. And then like, I think (laughs) under it, they had like a printed out sheet of paper that said, we got our family tickets to see the Cheetah Girls on New Year's Eve at Phillips Arena. Live? Live. And my sister and I, like Cheetah Girls 2 album was one of those albums that my sister and I would like choreograph like dances to. And just like, I think that was probably one of the best reactions I've had. That's like one of those like ingrained in my memory, like seeing the DVD and then pulling out the paper. My sister and I, me sister. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mrs. Stroy. Uh, that was an attempt at an Irish accent. It was horrible. Um, reading the paper and then reacting and just like screlting at the top of our lungs. Tears, literally. Now, did you play with dolls? Like, did you ever get dolls as gifts? I never got them, no, but I played with my sisters all the time. See, I only had a brother, but I was given dolls. I think it also started with like, we'll give you the Wizard of Oz brand Barbies because you're obsessed with Wizard, yeah. Wizard of Oz. It's not because you're wanting Barbies, you know? I remember I did have a rose from Titanic Barbie, though, and I loved that one. Yeah. I think I was way too young to even see Titanic, but... I saw Titanic when I was young, too. I think though. we all did. It just... We didn't know what was going on in that it was car. The double, the double cassette tape. We didn't know why that car was steamy, but... <laughs> My cousins introduced me to a lot of... I think they watched a lot of grown-up movies before I did, and then they were like, we're going to be cool and introduce Nick and Maddie to these movies. Because I remember they introduced me to Titanic. They introduced me to Jaws. I feel like there's something else, but those are the two that like stick out in my memory. And ever since Jaws, I've been terrified of sharks. I still am to this day. Glad we have them. Think they're lovely creatures. I just, I'm not the biggest fan, specifically the great white. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think the closest, and I hate that I'm gendering toys, but I mean, the gendering of toys is very real. The closest girl toy that I got was I got Webkins. I got these things called Ugly Dolls. I got a lot of these Disney figurines, and I loved the female ones. Like, I remember I had, for whatever reason, I was obsessed with the hag from Snow White. So when the evil queen turns into the hag, we have it on a Christmas video. My mom was like, can you show grandma, like, who it is? And I was like, it's the hag. Like, literally in that voice. (laughs) I wonder what that is. So I had a Wizard of Oz obsession, and I have a video of me getting a... Every year I got a Wizard of Oz ornament for Christmas, and one year I got a Miss Gulch one, and I was so excited <laughs> about Miss Gulch. I have a video of... Not the Wicked Witch. No, Miss Gulch. Gulch. And also the same thing with the Evil Queen. Like you would think you'd be obsessed with the Evil Queen, but you loved the hag. And for some reason, I opened that ornament up, and my mom was like, what is it? I was like, it's Miss Gulch! And I was so excited about Miss Gulch, you know? I don't know what it was, yeah. but... I loved, and I've, I've had like a... I feel like I've had a few conversations on this show and just in general like i was obsessed with the disney princesses but i loved the disney villains the vil- villainesses i did specifically. yeah the, the villains were all queer gay icons yes you know like i loved cruella loved ursula maleficent loved for sure um oh i did actually Scar, you know even i did have like a maleficent stuffed animal doll i want to say i had a cruella one too so i guess that was kind of close and i remember i got like a rescue heroes thing that i actually i think i enjoyed But I think I just liked the idea of dolls and, like, these, like, playable figurines. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like if you weren't getting Barbies or dolls, that was your... It was the closest thing. And I think that Disney was a really nice crossover in that sense for, like, if you got toys that were from a specific Disney movie, then you would get the whole set and then you would have the Belle or the Ariel and you could play with that one more than you necessarily played with the Beast or... Yeah, I remember going to Disney World and they, for the longest time, they had these like collectible figurine sets and I wanted the Sleeping Beauty one so bad because I just loved how Aurora looked and I loved like just that movie, but it had Maleficent and I just like wanted a Maleficent figurine so bad because I never got one and that was one that I always wanted. And I remember that I wanted that one and I wanted the Little Mermaid one because I loved Ariel. I always liked how Belle looked. I thought she was so pretty. Yeah. I think it was the tendril, you know, when she had her hair in the ponytail. Is that what it's the called? Te- the tendril, yeah. It was just when there was one hair <laughs> hanging down. I loved the tendril, you know. 
I just love that a cartoon <laughs> could have a tendril too. You know, and that she had one so it's hair. A specific that was like choice. Very specific choice. It's like this is how we're gonna make this Disney princess different. But I feel like she plays with it a lot. Like she like swipes it to the side a lot, and I feel like it's very prevalent. Because you know what it does? It makes her seem a little unkept. Which I love, yeah. That like small detail, even like I mean she's still very much like poised and elegant, but like the fact like, oh, she's a little bookish. She like gets her head so down in her books that her hair kind of gets in her face and she has to like right, right. Swat, like swap it away yeah, swap she, it swat it away yeah, she's not trying to like impress anyone with her looks she's like I'm gonna tie this ribbon into my hair do a quick pony and the town can talk go yeah. go for it yeah wow one last thing what kind of wisdom would you like to hold the on, pressure already <laughs> <laughs> no I always like to end with like a, a moving forward type question but because sure. we've talked a lot about like growing up and kids like what kind of wisdom would you like to impart upon children in terms of feeling freedom to express themselves, their queerness? Kids should be open to identify however they want to, and that is a beautiful thing. But I think that more importantly, it's so important for the kids that may fit in with the general public more to be allies from a young age, to Mm -hmm. normalize being queer, to normalize identifying a different way. And to embrace it, because the more allies there are, the less anyone has to feel isolated and stand out, you know? I think that that's what we don't necessarily learn. And, you know, we wouldn't really have great opinions on that because we we were in a group that's a little more isolated in some ways. But I think that if you do feel like you aren't isolated for something that you believe in, to embrace the things that other children believe in or identify as that might be different and to be part of that number, to make those numbers bigger and to make it so those kids don't have to hide or feel any shame, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I can sit here all day and say to these kids, feel free to be yourself and feel free to be open and be who you truly are. But they're only going to feel comfortable to do that if everyone else is also accepting. And I think that's what I'm trying to do when I work with my kids is to just normalize those things to talk about it so that the kids who might not identify in those ways are embracing it just as much as the kids that do identify in those ways as much as I want to see them embrace it. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, I love that you particularly talk about the kids being allies, kids who I don't identify as being queer, supporting and learning from a very young age. Well, I feel like you learn about, like, when you're a kid, you learn about good and bad. Mm -hmm. It's so split you're either like the one who's getting picked on or you're the bully but like it's so important to learn how to be that ally and it doesn't just mean just standing up for someone when they're being picked on it Mm -hmm. means just like being their ally always Mm -hmm. so that there's power in numbers you know yeah i also think it can help kids learn to be more empathetic and have that be more of a quality that is with them from the get-go as they grow up and live in the world. Because I think one thing, especially seeing now, is the world, specifically this country, can use a lot more empathy and understanding of someone who does not look like you, does not identify the same way that you do. And just not necessarily always, like, if you don't understand, being, like, just kind of rejecting that, but just, like, accepting and supporting as opposed to just making the situation about you, but making the situation about, like, how can I live just to serve and be supportive of so-and-so who I know and love. And, yeah. Right, and if you're any kind of role model, whether that be 
a parent, a babysitter, like we said, a teacher, an older sibling, like whether or not you identify as queer, make queer cool to that kid. Mm-hmm. If they can grow up learning that queerness is cool and something they should embrace, like they're going to be an ally. Yeah. Because it is cool. Right? <laughs> Queer is cool. <laughs> what did you say? He said queer is cool. I thought you said we're is cool. I was like, we we we, we are is cool. We we are is cool. Weird is also cool. We, we not boys. <laughs> we not we not boys. <laughs> well, if you guys want to follow Jimmy, his personal Instagram account is at Jimmy Larkin. Follow his at Let's Hear It's For The Choice Instagram page. If you just need some incredible, good, just like musical theater moments, it is just everything. It's very niche. It's very... It's it's so niche, but just like the niche market is massive. (laughs) You know, it's just for those people like me who enjoy just going down their YouTube rabbit hole of musical theater clips and just seeing all of the crazy choices people make, whether it be vocal, acting, dance, you know. I love a good fierce dance choice. Yeah. I mean, there's one time, I mean, actually, I won't get into it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole other episode. (laughs) That's our show, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Queer Queries and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye now. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Queer Queries. This show is produced by yours truly, edited by Addison McKissack, theme song written by Matt Gregory, Colin Egan, and Mike Hubbard, produced by Colin Egan and Mike Hubbard, logo designed by David Pavon. Have an inquiry, topic suggestion, guest idea? Email askqueerqueries at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts. Also, follow us on Instagram at, at queer.queries. And remember, hit that subscribe button, leave that written review, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, tell your enemies, tell the whole world about the Queer Queries podcast. 